0: Well, beginning today and throughout this week, we will be doing many things that should capture our imaginations, many actions, many symbols. We've walked into church with palm branches saying those same things that were said by the crowd as they brought Jesus into Jerusalem in triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. And really what we need to recognize is the events between Palm Sunday and then the Passion really do happen all in the space of a week. And so as we come back over and over again this Holy Week and enter into into these truths, into these mysteries, into the Bible story of our salvation, what we hope God will do in this time is that He will, through the power of His Spirit, grab a hold of our imaginations and place us back in those moments so that we can have the full weight of what god has done for us laid on our hearts again and so beginning this morning and beginning right now i want to ask us to use our sanctified imaginations our sanctified imaginations and enter into all of the gospel texts that we heard read this morning and i would like for us to do it using our sanctified imaginations as if we were viewing these events, not as people who have heard this story now countless times, but as those first disciples experienced it. Remember, they hadn't read all that we've read. They're going through it for the very first time. So this is the emotional, the experiential progression of the disciples through Holy Week. So they begin with elation. They begin with elation, with great joy at the triumphal entry. Cloaks are cast into the road. Palm branches are cut and waved. Palm branches are strewn into the road. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem in triumph. On a donkey as David's son. People recognize their seeing fulfilled before their very eyes. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice and sing aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. For behold, your king comes to you, lowly and riding on a colt of a donkey. On the foal of a donkey. And they see it fulfilled. There's so much joy. And events seem to be exciting and turning into, in Jesus' favor as he cleanses the temple. Nobody was expecting that. Turns over the money changers' tables, drives out the animals that were being prepared for sacrifice, and then he, throughout the week, repeatedly defeats the elite of Israel. The smartest guys in Israel as they try to entrap him in his words. But then elation and excitement turn to confusion and consternation and outrage in the village of Bethany and in the home of Simon the leper when a woman comes in and takes a very expensive bottle of perfume of pure nard and breaks that bottle of nard, that alabaster nard bottle and pours it over his head and the disciples are outraged by the waste and Jesus said, oh, you don't understand. She's not anointing me as a king. She's anointing me as a corpse. Confusion and sadness mingled together at the Last Supper when Jesus informs them that one of the twelve will betray him and all of them will desert him. And then they had to feel that the wheels had truly come off completely and that they were being swept away by a river of chaos When just after finishing praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, a crowd comes with swords and clubs and lanterns, Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Peter strikes out with a sword, and by the way, he wasn't aiming at ears. Cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, and everyone turns and runs away into the night in terror. The utter failure of the disciples and their complete loss of control is exemplified by the young man, the nameless young man, I think it was John Mark, who flees stripped naked into the darkness because emotionally and experientially all of the disciples were stripped and naked and in the darkness. And from that moment on, for the disciples, everything, and I mean everything, that they have built together with Jesus over the last three years just unravels. Their hope that God's kingdom was finally coming. That was the reading in Mark's narrative of the triumphal, in, in, uh, the triumphal entry. Blessed is the one who comes. You know, David's kingdom is coming now their belief that Jesus was the promised Messiah. It all came crashing down. The elite ruling class of Jerusalem puts on a show trial, a kangaroo court complete with false witnesses. Peter denies Jesus because he's really intimidated by that servant girl, it turns out. Ooh, tiny servant girl, so scary. Events follow each other in a rush of lies and injustice and abuse of power And so are you still with the disciples? Are you still in their shoes? Because if you are, if you're really following this emotionally, it feels like evil rules the day, that evil is stronger than the good. And in all of this chaos, God, the deliverer of Israel, remember, they're there for Passover. Passover is the celebration of what? God's deliverance of Israel Out of Egypt, through through an outstretched arm, through a mighty hand. So in all of this chaos, God, the deliverer of Israel, is conspicuous by his absence. Why hasn't God intervened? He could stop all of this. Even on the cross, it's not too late. God, who parted the Red Sea for Israel to escape Pharaoh, certainly he could save Jesus from the cross. But no. In fact, the very last articulate sentence that Jesus utters on the cross in Mark's gospel is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything has unraveled. And then he dies. And that's it. So from elation to confusion to sadness to chaos, to the triumph of lies and injustice, to an ignominious death abandoned by the God who never showed up. That's where the disciples are on Good Friday. And we need to understand this. You need to understand this or nothing wonderful can come from this story. We need to understand this because if we don't, we will not be able to receive the good news embedded in this dark story that you and I need to hear today. In fact, just go back with me, if you would, to Mark 11, verses 1 through 3, where we begin our readings today, outside, gathered on the sidewalk. This is Mark 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples And said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks, uh, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Now, this passage, and this is an important passage that we just go right through, this passage strikes me as indicating that Jesus has made arrangements, arrangements unknown to his disciples. Jesus has made arrangements beforehand precisely for this hour. Now, you can say, well, this is the result of Jesus having some prophetic supernatural knowledge of the coming events. You could say that, but that won't change the point at all. But I think that the simplest reading of this is that Jesus is, the, is that Jesus has done his recon. Jesus has done his recon. He's been here before. He knows these villages well. He knows there is a cult, always a cult tied up at the house as you enter into the village. He has arranged a passphrase, a, pass, a password, a passphrase with the cult's owner. The Lord has need of it. And so, at, at, at Jesus' initiative, at this hour, the plan that he has made is put into effect. Now, brothers and sisters, here is the point for us today. Jesus is not merely being carried along by happenstance. This is his own, this is Jesus' own predetermined plan. Stuff isn't just happening to Jesus. Jesus is not the victim of random events in this moment. Later, when the disciples look back at what happened during Holy Week, in that moment when it seemed like chaos and evil ruled the day, this is what they realized. 50 short days following the resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and addresses the crowd after the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, please listen to this next line. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So please hear me. Jesus was not the victim of events beyond his control, but was in that moment, still in that moment, still Emmanuel, God with us, enacting his plan of salvation that in his infinite wisdom and grace he had sovereignly, that word is so important, he had sovereignly determined before the foundation of the world. Indeed, as disciples later prayed in Acts chapter 4, in their prayers, the disciples looked back at those events of Holy Week and acknowledged, please listen, that God knew in advance what the rulers and the people would do with the Messiah. This is their prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 27. They are praying, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And here's what the disciples prayed. This is what they thought. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would Happen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand what would happen. In the moment, the events of the Passion had to seem to the disciples as if evil had thrown off all encumbrance, that it had slipped its traces and was wantonly trampling everything that was good. But from the very beginning, from the very beginning of these events, God was fully present and sovereignly governing every nanosecond. Well, Ben, you just sound like a Calvinist. (laughs) I'm glad you've accepted Calvin into your heart. Praise God. What I sound like is a Bible Christian. That's what I sound like. All of the injustice... And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, this was the greatest crime ever committed by humanity. All of the injustice, all of the lies, all of the violence, all of the evil was not outside of God's control. He was not surprised by any of this. All of it was, listen please, all of it, and it was evil. It was wrong. They took the Lord of Glory. They took the Holy Lamb of God and slain, slew Him on a cross. That's wrong. It's the greatest, greatest travesty of justice ever done. Done it in the name of justice. They killed Him, but it was all encompassed and accounted for in the wisdom and counsels of God from all eternity past. God was not surprised and his will was not thwarted by any of these events. So here's the co- here is the point of application. Are you ready? Christian, I wonder, please, I wonder if some of us feel that we are being swept away by chaos right now. That the wills have come off. Do you feel like that? Or that evil is unrestrained? Or maybe that God is absent in the moment when you need Him to intervene the most. That's how those disciples felt, isn't it? Isn't it? Make no mistake, what you are going through may indeed be great injustice and may indeed be chaotic. But the good news revealed in the readings this morning, indeed the good news that is the Christian proclamation, is that chaos and evil and human rebellion against an almighty, holy God cannot overcome the loving, sovereign purposes of God in your life. Whatever's going on, Christian, Romans 8.28 still counts. God makes all things work together. It doesn't say all things are good. All things God makes all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Even crosses. Nothing can thwart the loving sovereign purposes of God in your life or in the life of his church. I don't care whether you live in North Korea or China or northern Nigeria or in Canada or the United States. It doesn't matter. God is still in control. Down through the ages, down through the centuries, there have been and continue to be to this day Repeated instances of what look like unrestrained, chaotic evil unleashed on God's church. Even now, in this country, of all places, a new cadre of the rulers of the people, of the elite, seem to have the power to cancel the witness of the Orthodox Christian faith. You know, during Lent this year, I recommended the viewing of a a documentary about Jerzy Popkiewuszko. Yes, I practiced that over and over again Father Jerzy Popkiwuszko the, the documentary was called Messenger of the Truth I recommended you view that if you had the opportunity and I still do during Holy Week it was a, he was a young Polish priest and in the early 1980s this young pastor delivered scintillating messages that stirred the Polish people to overthrow the communist oppressors that were ruling them but he himself was not very impressive he was not. A, he, it turns out he was not a very good student. Nobody was impressed by his ministry. But all of a sudden, in that moment, in the moment where it was needed the most, this young, gaunt man, Father Jerzy, who didn't speak with fire or eloquence. In fact, if you listen to his recorded sermons, they're quite monotone. But when he held his monthly, what he, what he called Mass for the Motherland, or Mass for the Homeland, dedicated to the victims of the communist persecution... Tens of thousands would gather outside, pre-COVID, don't worry. (laughs) Tens of thousands would gather shoulder to shoulder outside of the church in Warsaw to hear him speak. His theme was always the same. Christians are called to overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It was always the same message. He said, a Christian must be a sign of contradiction in the world, contradicting all kinds of evil. In the darkness of communism, we must let our light shine so that through our deeds, people can see the Father who is in heaven. In the winter of 1980, and I remember this, I remember seeing this on TV, martial law was declared in Poland because of the activities of Jerzy Popkiwuszko and the Solidarity Movement. Lech Walesa and others. Martial law was declared and tanks and troops clogged the streets until the entire country was one vast gulag, prison. The Poles despised the troops, but but Jerzy was was determined to overcome evil with good. And even one Christmas Eve, as the tanks are surrounding his church, troops are in the street, Father Jerzy bakes hundreds of Christmas cookies and slogs through the snow and just starts handing out cookies to the troops. Here, take a cookie. Overcome evil with good. In 1984, the government decided to silence this troublesome young preacher. Where have we heard that before? And so the secret police whisked him away, but the authorities seriously miscalculated. The steel in Poland threatened a national strike. The nation demanded his release. 50,000 people, 50,000 people, knowing that there were informers and secret police in the, in the crowd, 50,000 people gathered outside of his church, to hear the recording of his last sermon. And then the worst thing that could happen, happened. Father Jerzy's body was found floating in the Vistula River in Warsaw. They pulled it out. He had been horribly tortured. His eyes had been gouged out. His tongue had been cut out. All of his bones had been smashed. But he had taught his people well. And so after his body was found and his funeral was held, hundreds of thousands of people marched through, hundreds of thousands of people marched through the streets of Warsaw right by the headquarters of the secret police bearing this sign, We Forgive. Overcome evil with good. It wasn't long after that, that the seemingly indestructible communist system crumbled under the power of the gospel. What defeated communism in Poland? The gospel. Jesus was victor. Up till that moment, it looked like evil was untrammeled and unrestrained and that chaos ruled certainly when Yerzy was taken prisoner and tortured that had to seem that way to the people who loved him and listened to him and followed him. But God sovereignly used those events, the sovereign God who was in control in every nanosecond of all of that, used those events to liberate an entire country and to begin a domino effect that ended with the collapse of the Communist Soviet Union. That's still true right now. It's true in your life. It's true in the life of the church. Oh, brothers and sisters, please hear your pastor. I've been vilified, I haven't been vilified. I've been laughed at, not vilified. Vilified is too strong of a word. I've been patted on the head and said, bless your heart too. <laughs> for saying that we are entering a Passover for the church, a time of deep struggle and hardship for the church in the West. Here's where I see the chaos, the unrestrained evil emerging today. You see that same spirit, that same darkness that energized the totalitarian, intolerant communist regimes of the 20th century and even down to this very moment is alive and gaining ground in this country. It is an antichrist spirit. It is inherently violent and coercive always. And it is here. In fact, it's erupting all around us this week in an opinion piece at USA Today. USA Today! USA Today! Their sports page on their website, Oral Roberts University, was vilified, genuinely vilified for holding the understanding of human sexuality as taught by that bad old rabbi from Galilee Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 6 right this minute is it is this teaching of Jesus that stokes the rage of the rulers of this pleasant present darkness present darkness of our culture you need to know though please listen that Our province and our diocese and our local church are firmly committed to exactly the same truths that were being vilified in Oral Roberts University. Here's how the teaching of Jesus is viewed by the rulers of the people in this culture. I'm quoting here, deeply bigoted, a relic of the past, discriminatory and hateful. Wildly out of line with modern society and the basic, basic values of human decency. Dangerous rabbi from Galilee, wildly out of line with first century society and the basic, basic values of human decency. The author calls the historic orthodox faith dangerous religious doc- dogma, dangerous and hateful ideology. This author wants Christians and Christian institutions excluded from the public square, shut out from society if they hold to their beliefs. There is even now in this country legislation before Congress that will criminalize Christian conscience for businesses, schools, and other Christian organizations. Make no mistake, for those who want to carry their convictions into the marketplace, it is likely to pass and be signed into law. But that's not the point. Here's the point. Even if that does happen, God is sovereign. Even if that does happen, God is sovereign. And he is in control of every nanosecond. The wheels have not come off. Evil is not untrammeled. The church and her children will once again go through a Passover of hardship, but God is sovereign, and make no mistake, once the powers and principalities get their way and finally nail the body of Jesus back to the cross where it belongs, God will bring resurrection. It will happen. It always happens. We have buried so many empires. There will be a resurrection, and God's loving, sovereign, redemptive plan will shine all the brighter and be all the more alive than ever before. Praise God. And as we walk these steps on the way of tears, the Via Dolorosa, we will find that the way of the cross is none other than the way of life and peace. Amen. God make it so. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.